Well, I'm Andrew, if I haven't met you. Um, Matthew's at the beach this weekend, so he's, he's enjoying uh, the warm weather. It's a little bit, you know, I feel like it's been super hot, but if you're around water, it's tolerable. So hopefully they're, they're enjoying that um, this week. We're going to continue in Philippians. So we've been in Philippians the last few weeks, kind of our summer series. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start turning to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we'll be this morning. Um, I will warn you, this is a very thick passage today. It's just a lot of like theological truths in here, and my prayer is that, you know, sometimes we can read these things, and it's like, man, this is super heavy, this is super thick, um, this is a lot of theology, but my hope today is that we can see how God wants us to apply this to our lives, and that it will be very practical. Um, that's my hope for today. So, Kind of in this passage, we're going to see Paul, he's talking to the Philippians, and he kind of gives some instructions to the Philippians, but then he starts talking about Jesus, and kind of the point of that is that he's, he's giving instruction, and then he's saying, Jesus was the example. Jesus actually did these things, so you can do these things as well. You can live this way as well. Have you ever had, like, a, your parent, if you are a parent, or a teacher, or someone, or a boss say, do as I say, not as I do? Have you ever heard that term before? Uh, it's pretty hard to follow that kind of leader. I know, like, I'm not a really good, like, I'm, I can be defiant. Lexi can attest to that sometimes. I, like, if I don't understand the reason behind something, like, I'm probably not going to do it just because that's how I am. It's how God made me. Um, but in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus did everything that he asked us to do and more. And so it's a beautiful thing that we have a God, we have a Savior who is not asking us to do something that he didn't do, or is not asking us to be someone that he is not. We get to see his example, and he, he's kind of paved the way for that. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll kind of dig into this. Lord, uh, thank you so much for today, and thank you for who you are. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you uh, were a Savior, are a Savior, Lord, that, that has lived out how we're supposed to live, who doesn't just give us instructions, doesn't just give us things to do, Lord, but that you did those very things, and you are who you were calling us to be, Lord. So just help us to look to you, Lord. Help us to turn our face to you, turn our gaze to you, Lord, and to look at your example. And Lord, help us to emulate, emulate you, Lord. Help us to, to be who you called us to be. And Lord, I just pray that you would show us that this morning through this passage. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And it says, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his, in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So for some translations, in this translation, the word therefore or so is not there, but in your Bible you might see the first word in chapter 2 is so or therefore. And so Paul is referencing what Matthew talked about last week. Uh, Paul is referencing the fact that our, our hope is in the gospel. He's referencing the fact that we should live our lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And because of that, there may be some struggles. There may be some really hard times. And, and that's kind of what Paul is referencing. So he's saying, so, or therefore, if that's the case, and then he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit. It's kind of interesting. He's not saying, he's not questioning if those are true because they are true. Like for believers, there is encouragement in Christ. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, there's a lot of encouragement in Christ. When I go through trials, when I go through life, like I can look to Jesus and say, man, Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. He experienced, he experienced the same temptations that I face. He experienced the same, some of the same struggles that I face, yet he still lived a perfect life. Like, that's an encouragement to me. So there is, if there is any consolation of love. So we know that Jesus loved us. We know that Jesus died for us. He loved us that much. So, of course, that's true. The next thing is if there's any fellowship with the Spirit. So the word fellowship in Greek here is koinonia, which means having all things in common. So if you're a follower of Christ, is there fellowship with the Spirit? Well, I hope that for us who follow Christ, that yes, like we're guided by the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. So yes, there's fellowship with the Spirit if there's any affection and mercy. Yes, like we, I don't know about you, but God has been very merciful to me. Like I have not received what I deserve and, and I'm thankful for Jesus. So Paul's not really saying like, or questioning if these things are true by using the word if, but he's kind of, he's, he's kind of encouraging the Philippians by saying, look at yourself. Are these things true in your life? Like they should be if you're a follower of Jesus. And if they are, then these are kind of three things. If your life is characterized by these blessings that come from, from following Jesus, then you should do these three things, and you will do these three things. And so next in this section, he kind of points out three things. Uh, we'll see first in, in, in verse 2, he says, Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. So Paul's saying, like, if these things are true, then it would make me really happy if you would do these three things. And the first one in verse 2 we see is prioritize unity. So verse 2, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, and focusing on one goal. That's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to, I mean, I don't know how many of us are in this room right now, but it's pretty hard for even two people to have this, to think the same way. If you're married, you probably know that it's hard sometimes to think the same way as your spouse. Um, it's hard to have the same love, share the same feelings, and focus on one goal. So if it's hard for two people, how hard is that for however many people are in this room or the church as a whole? But we're called to do that. And, you know, Matthew talked last week about this a little bit. He, he mentioned that there were churches that split over the color of carpet, which that's very true. Um, and it's really hard to prioritize unity. There's so many things that can divide us. It's anything you can think of, any just anything you can dream of up in your mind has divided a church at one point or the other. I've heard some really ridiculous stories, but we are called to be unified by the gospel. So that doesn't mean that, you know, if someone up here is preaching heresy that you should just say, oh, 
it's all right. We're called to be one. We're called to be united, so we'll go with that. Like, that's not what this says. But the gospel should be what unites us. And then other stuff that is not as important, you know what? We can let that, we can let some of those things, let some of those things go. There's a quote. I don't know who said this quote. It's been, you know, there's certain quotes who, that have been attributed to, like, five different people. You know, like, oh, this person said that quote. Well, I don't know who actually originated this quote, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it to you. So the quote is, in essentials, unity, and in non-essentials, liberty. You've probably heard that before. In essentials, unity, and in non-essentials, liberty. So I hope that is the mantra of our church, and I believe that it is. Like, there are things that are essentials. There are things that are primary issues that we should be unified in, like the question, who is Jesus? If we all had different answers to that question, I don't know how we would come under one roof and worship together without there being division. What is the gospel? Um, you know, those are, those are primary issues that we have to be unified on. But there's other issues that aren't as important that, you know, somebody might have one certain feeling about, let's see, let me think about, um, I'll just think of an example. There's some people who might say that if you have one sip of alcohol, that's horrible and you're, you know, you shouldn't do that. But then other people say, well, the Bible preaches against drunkenness and you shouldn't, you should never become drunk but if you have a drink or two, that's okay as long as you're responsible. I'm not getting into that. I'm not preaching that this morning. But what I'm saying is, you know what? It's okay if one person believes one thing and the other believes the other. We can still be unified around the gospel. That's not a primary issue. Does that make sense? So that should not be something that splits a church up. It's not a primary issue. So we have to know in order to, to be able to live this out, we have to know what is essential, right? I mean, if, if we're saying that essential issues are important and what we should be unified around and non-essential issues are not something that we should divide over, we have to know what's essential. And what I'm saying to you this morning and what I believe the Bible says is that the gospel is essential. So if we can agree on what the gospel is, then the rest of that, you know what? It's okay if we disagree. We can agree to disagree and we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ and we can still worship together. But again, if someone, and I don't think this would happen at Origins, but if someone gets up here and starts preaching something that's not the gospel, that is something that you should speak up about, and that is something that should be called out. Again, we want to be, be unified in the essentials, and we don't want to divide over the non-essentials. So that's what, that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians here. Have the same mind, have the same love, focus on one goal, that's the gospel. And when we, when we do that, we can then live on mission together. So that's the first thing that, that Paul says here. The second thing that Paul says is that we should exhibit humility. So I think all these tying together, if we, if we exhibit humility, then we're going to be, it's going to be easier for us to be unified because pride is a huge thing that, that divides and destroys. Um, so verse three, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. So selfish ambition, rivalry, conceit, basically what that says is, I want it, and I got to have it. I mean, I'm sure we've seen that in our culture. Like, and it's easy for us. I have a, you know, 14-month-old or 15, almost 15 months. Like, if she wants something, she's got to have it, or she pitches a fit. Like, and you know what? There are 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 and 90-year-old people who still live that way. And I hope that we don't live that way. I hope that we wouldn't live that way uh, because that's very childish. But... Humility is the understanding that we owe service to people versus them owing service to us. If we live our lives thinking that everyone owes us something, then we're not going to live in humility. 
But if we live our lives thinking about others and saying, you know what, I want to ser- serve. I want to uh, be someone who helps other people and serves other people, and I'm not always focused on myself. That's what humility is. And we're going to see in a minute how, how Jesus exemplifies this in the most extreme way. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure that you've, you've heard the, um, the term a Karen, someone who is like, you know, in our culture, that's the, that's the buzzword is, oh, they're being a Karen. Well, a Karen is someone who thinks that she or he has to have what they have to have, right, versus service to another person. I was thinking about, it's been several years ago, but I was in a Wendy's um, in Clemson a long time ago, and it was like 10 o'clock at night, and I was just eating my food in there. And this guy, he, he comes in, and he orders his burger, and what I don't remember, there was mayonnaise on it, and he asked for no mayonnaise or something dumb, and his order wasn't right. And so he goes back and he says, he was pretty rude, but he says, my order wasn't right. Like, you need to fix my order. And so he sends it back. And then they call him up again. His food's ready. And it was wrong again. And he threw the burger at the employee. Like, he was very mad. I mean, he was screaming and hollering and he threw the burger. You know, being humble sometimes means that we have to have grace and show grace to others. It doesn't mean we should let people walk all over us, but it also means that sometimes, you know what? If my burger's wrong twice at Wendy's, is it really worth, like, just destroying somebody over that, you know? I mean, it's a burger. Probably not going to starve to death. I'm probably going to be all right if my burger's wrong. So just an example. There, and I know we all have bad days, and there are times when I get frustrated about something, and I probably make a bigger deal of it than it should be. But hopefully, as followers of Jesus, we can say, you know what? I'm sure that employee's having a bad day. I'm sure my spouse is having a bad day. I'm sure this customer of mine's having a bad day. So you know what? I'm going to show grace, and I'm going to serve them by, by showing grace and by saying, you know what? I'm, it's okay that you messed up. I'll, I'll wait for my burger. I'll wait for you to fix it again. Or you know what? Mayonnaise isn't going to kill me. I'm not allergic to it, so I'll just eat the mayonnaise or whatever. Um, there's, all kinds of, there's all kinds of examples and scenarios in our life where we should show humility. And, and I'll say this, the whole idea of I deserve that and I have to have it, let me ask this, and I'm asking myself this question as well, is this, do I really want what I deserve? Do I really want what I, reser- what I deserve? Because I know the things that I've done and the thoughts that come in my head sometimes, and I can promise you that I'm very grateful for God's mercy because I don't want what I deserve. Um, and, and then this, we're going to see this when we, in a minute when we look at Jesus' example. But a huge sign of humility is obedience, is obedience. You know, being defiant, that I mentioned, that's a struggle of mine. Basically, what being defiant is, is saying, I know better than the person that's asking me to do this. And that might be the case sometimes. I'm not saying that we should all be blindly obedient to anything that anyone asks us to do. But when it comes to what God asks us to do in the Bible, we should be obedient to that. And you know what? A lot of times when we are obedient to what God calls us to do, we have, to, we have to put aside what we want or what we would like to do. And that's a, that's a sign of humility, saying, you know what, I trust that what God says is better than what my desire is for whatever this thing is that I want to do. So huge sign of obedience. We'll see that in a second. And then the third thing that Paul is, is encouraging the Philippians to do is to exhibit sensitivity. So we'll look at verse 4. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So this is another form or another type of humility, but looking out for the interests of others over the interests of ourselves. Super hard. 
I'm not saying it's easy to do that. You know, we sometimes people get on our nerves or we don't like them or our personalities don't match up. And you know what? We should still be sensitive to those people and we should still put their needs over ours. Um, if you look at verse 4, it says, Everyone should, know, should look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. So that word interest is kind of a filler word, right? There's a lot of things that could, what are interests? So I just kind of want you to think about what you could fill that word with. Everyone should look out not only for his own security, but for the security of others. Everyone should look out not only for his own family, but for the family of others. Everyone should look out not only for his own financial well-being, but for the financial well-being of others. I'm just using some examples. But think about what's valuable to you in your life and kind of put that in that, in that, in that word right there where the word interest is. It's hard. It's really hard to do that. But that's what we're called to do because that's what Jesus did. That's the example that he gave us. I told Lexi I was going to tell this story, and she, she gave me permission to tell this story. So I think I was telling Zach this the other day and Kathy. Um, but Lexi and her brother, when they were little, like, they did not get along. Lexi was not happy that she was no longer the only child and getting all the attention when she was a kid. I didn't know Lexi then, but um, I can see it. I can see it. So uh, her and her brother, and her, they have a great, a great relationship now, but... Lexi did all kinds of things, like she locked him in the car one time because she didn't want him to go in, like, the store with the family. I don't remember the details of that one. But one thing that's funny, so does anybody, has anyone eaten toaster strudels before? You know what that is? It's been a while, but I love toaster strudels. So everybody knows that you have the icing packs for toaster strudels, right? That you, you put it in the toaster, then you put the icing on the toaster strudel. Well, Lexi said when she was little and her parents would get toaster strudels that she would go in the freezer and eat all the icing packets just so her brother couldn't have, have the icing. I mean, she does have a sweet tooth, and she likes sweets, but, like, her motivation was so that Jake wouldn't get any icing. Like, that was her motivation. You know, the nice, what Jesus calls us to do is, you know what, I'll eat my toaster strudel without icing so that this person could have extra icing. Very hard, very difficult. I'm not telling you that you have to do that, but at least don't eat the other person's icing. Um, Really hard, but we should look out for the interests of others whenever we, any, when, in anything that we do. And you know what? If there's something that we like or we want, it probably means that someone else likes that or wants that as well, so we can share that. So that's kind of Paul's instruction. But then, like I mentioned at the beginning, Paul gives us the example of Jesus. Paul gives the Philippians the example of Jesus. In verse 5, he says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Man, that's hard. When we're about to see the the actual example of that and what he means when he says that. But I just kind of want to, before we dive into this next section, I just want to kind of give some, talk about it a little bit, kind of tell you what this is about. So there have been people that said that the, these like six or seven verses right here are some of the most important verses in the New Testament because, because these verses tell us who Jesus is. And that's the essential question that we all have to answer, right, is who is Jesus? And so I want us to be very careful. And I will say this. A sermon could be preached on every single verse in this next section. And my goal is not, we don't have time for that, and you don't want to sit here for that long. So my goal is that we just understand what he's saying here, what Paul's saying, and who Jesus is, and then may it, maybe it'll be a motivation for you to go home and do more studying or to look into each one of these in more detail. Um, this next section in your Bible, you might see that it's sort of like indented a little bit on both sides, and the reason that's the case is because we're not, we're not really sure, 
but we believe that this might be like an ancient hymn or something that the church would have known when Paul said this. So we're not sure if Paul actually wrote this because of the way it was written. We think that maybe this was like a hymn or something that when he was reading this to the Philippians, they, were, they would be familiar with it because it was something that they recited as the church or that they sang as a hymn. So, and, and I'll say this too, there's been a lot of debate about some of the verses in, in here. And Paul literally is talking about unity. So we don't want this to be something that divides us. We want to find unity in who Jesus is. So I'll say this. You might, if you go do some research, you can find long theological papers written about every single verse right here. But that's not the point. The point is we want to see who is Jesus as it relates to what Paul is talking about. That's the goal. Um, and so, it's, but it is important that we get this right, like I said, because this does answer who Jesus is. So there's going to be some theological things that are, we're going to talk about right here. But again, my goal is that we can relate this and understand why those things are important. Um, so I kind of want to divide this into three, three sections, and we'll kind of have three points here. And the first one is that we see Jesus' humility in his renunciation. Kind of a weird word, and I'll explain that. So verse 6, so Paul says, Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Or your translation might say, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. So, first of all, Jesus existing in the form of God, very important, essential thing that we have to understand is that Jesus is God, right? We have the Trinity, the three, the three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, we see that Jesus is God. He is deity. He always has been. Uh, Genesis 1.26, think that might be up on the, on the screen here, um, and we'll look at that. We see that Jesus existed from the very beginning. We see Jesus in Genesis. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So our, our, he doesn't say, Let me make man in my image. He says our, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existed from the very beginning. Jesus always has been and always will be God. It's a very important theological concept because if that wasn't the case, and I won't get into this, there's a lot of things that wouldn't make sense or that we would have to, a lot of questions we'd have to answer. Jesus always has been and always will be God. And so equality with God is his being. It's who he is. He, Jesus is Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three fully God, fully, full deity. Jesus isn't half God or partially God. He is, Jesus is just as much God as God the Father. And so it's not something that he had to strive for. It's not something that Jesus had to prove himself or anything. Jesus is God. And it says that in, that in this verse, it says that it's not something that equality with God was not something to be used for his own advantage or something to be grasped. We'll get into that in a second. But what that means is that Jesus willingly left his position to come and be with us. We'll talk about that in a second. Jesus willingly left his position of equal authority with God the Father to come down and be with us. He didn't try to grasp, grasp that. He did not try to hold on to that. He willingly came down to be with us. And another important thing here, we'll talk about this, is obedience. God the Father sent Jesus to earth for us, but Jesus chose to be obedient to that. 
he is not, all three members of the Godhead are, are equal. He, Jesus did not have to submit to God the Father, but he chose to do that for us. We're going to talk about that. Second thing is, and again, I know that's super theo- theological, but we're going to get into the reason why I'm talking about that. Number two, we see Jesus' humility in his incarnation. That's what we're, the incarnation means he came, to, he came to dwell with us. Jesus came, he was born in a manger. He was born in one of the most humble places possible, literally where animals slept and where animals used the restroom and where animals, uh, nasty animals dwelled. He was born in a manger. He was born as a humble servant to live, to face the same temptations, to, to suffer and face the same trials that we face. But he's God, and he came to do that to be for us. So verse 7 and 8 says, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So verse 7 is, is really the verse that's been of the most debate in this section. Uh, the word emptied, he emptied himself. That doesn't mean that Jesus became not God. It doesn't mean that he, when he came to earth, that he left his deity behind. What that means is that Jesus added humanity. He was not, he was, Jesus was always fully God, and he's also fully man, which is hard for us to grasp. He wasn't, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't become, because he became man, he didn't become half God or a quarter God or anything like that. Like Jesus was fully God and fully man, which is mind-blowing when you think about the gospel, that someone being fully God would come and take on flesh like us and live and dwell among us. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of comparisons there's, that people make or that we even see in the New Testament of comparing Jesus to Adam. And I want to think about this for a second. So Adam, so God created Adam and Eve, right? And they, he, he created this perfect garden for them to live in. And they had everything they needed. And there was only one rule, right? He says, you can do anything, but just don't eat, eat of this one tree. The, and if you do, and if they did eat of that tree, they would then have this knowledge of good and evil, which only God was intended to have that knowledge. But Adam and Eve, they chose to sin. They chose, they wanted to know good and evil, even though that was only for God. And so I want to read this quote from Martin Luther. He said, Because in Adam we mounted up towards equality with God, he descended to be like us to bring us back to knowledge of himself. This is going to require a little brain power to think about that. I'm going to read it again. Because in Adam we mounted up towards equality with God, he descended to be like us, to bring us back to knowledge of himself. So Adam was a man trying to be like God, but Jesus was God coming to be man so that we could have a relationship with God. So Adam was trying to be like God, didn't work out right, but Jesus, being God, came down to us to bring us back to knowledge of himself. That's the gospel. Jesus went from heaven to earth to become a man, to become a servant, to die a robber's death, a criminal's death on a cross, so that we could then have a relationship with God. Crucifixion is the most shameful death in Roman culture. Like, being put on display for everyone to see, literally hanging on a cross, suffering, dying in front of everybody. The most shameful death possible. God did that for you and I so that we could have a relationship with him. It's mind-blowing. The gospel, 
for some of us who have been in church for a long time or for all of our lives, we hear the gospel sometimes and maybe it just, we hear it and we understand it, but guys, it's crazy. The gospel is mind-blowing that God would come down to earth in the form of a man, in a form of just like you and I, to experience the same things we experience, to suffer, to be tempted and overcome those temptations, to, to, to suffer, to experience pain, and to die the most painful and miserable death anyone can imagine so that you and I can have a relationship with God. We didn't deserve that at all. We're, God didn't mess it up. We messed it up, but he made a way for us. It sh every time we hear that as believers, it should be mind-blowing. Every time we hear that, it should affect us. Don't ever let the gospel become something that we're immune to. Don't ever let the gospel become something that we hear and it doesn't affect us. That's my prayer for all of us. You know, if you or I were to think of a way for God to make a way for us, for the incarnation, for Jesus to come down, I don't think we could have ever dreamed up the way that God did it. You know, that's, there's a fancy word called apologetic. You probably know what that means, which means like explaining or understanding why God, did, like the reason for God to understand and, and prove that God exists and that he's real. And I think this is super simple, but I think one of our greatest apologetics is the fact that no man could ever dream this up. Like, the greatest storyteller on earth could never write this story because it's just completely crazy. I mean, it's ridiculous. And when you see how everything comes together and how, how like, the Bible, when you read the Bible, it's almost like the language of our hearts. Like, I don't know about you, but when I read any other book, it doesn't speak to me like the Bible speaks to me. Like, this, this could not have a human author. It speaks to me in a different way, and it should to you as well as a Christian. But, but God sent his, God came to us. He sent his son. God came to us, literally born in a manger, literally as a servant. If I would have dreamed it up, uh, has anyone seen Aladdin? You know, when, uh, you know when the prince comes in and it's a huge celebration? That's how I would have dreamed it up. Like, you know, God coming to earth, like it would be like that, but much more, much more elaborate. But God knew what we needed. He, he knew that we didn't need education. We needed redemption. He knew that we didn't need social or political change, but we needed salvation. He knew that we didn't need religion, but we needed spiritual transformation. No one could have come up with this, but except for God. This was God's way for us. And so God sent his son, born of a virgin, in a stable, and we took him, and we nailed him to a cross. But you know what? God did that for you and me so that we could have a relationship with him. And then I want us to look at this next part, verses 9 through 11. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you know that one day every single person is going to bow down to Jesus? You know, I hope that we're, you and I are on the right side of that, and if we have faith in Christ, we will be. One day we'll be with him for eternity, and we'll worship him, and we'll bow down at his feet. But even those who didn't have a relationship with Christ, they're going to acknowledge Jesus as Lord at one, at one point and one day. There was, a, you can go read about this. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but there were, and you may have heard this, uh, but back in the 1700s, there were these missionaries from Germany, and they felt called to go take the gospel to people who had been enslaved in the Caribbean. And they were trying to figure out, as you can imagine, back in the 1700s, we didn't have air travel. So, you know, they couldn't hop on a plane and fly to, to St. Thomas or something like that. They had to figure out how they were going to get there. 
And they tried to figure it out, but they couldn't find a way to get there. And so what they did, because they knew how important the gospel was, they literally sold themselves as slaves so they could get on a slave ship and go. And as they were sailing away, they said this one thing to their family back, back on the shore. They said, may the Lamb of God receive the reward of his suffering. And that's, that's such a powerful statement because Jesus died, he suffered, but the reward of that suffering is that we acknowledge him as Lord and we worship him and we praise him because we have a relationship with him. Jesus died and suffered for us so that we could have a relationship with him and so that we could give him glory as our perfect savior. So my prayer is that the Lamb of God would receive the reward of his suffering and that we would acknowledge him and worship him because one day, like I said, every knee is going to bow to Jesus. So these are deep theological truths, but I kind of want, and again, Paul is using this, this example of Jesus as, as a way to say, you know what? You can do these things because Jesus did them. You can live your life in this way because Jesus did. So what do we do with this? I have, I have five things that we're going to just quickly talk about very, very briefly of what we do with this. Uh, if you have your Bible, we'll turn it up. We'll be, I'm going to look very quickly at Colossians 3. It's just a couple of pages over. And, and that this, uh, this header here says the Christian life. This is some very practical ways that we can live this way. We, Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father through him. To me, this is a perfect example of what it looks like for us to live in unity and to, for us to live in humility with one another as a church. So the first thing I want to say to you is what do we do with this? Number one, look to Jesus look to Jesus, because Jesus is our perfect example. Jesus is the perfect example of what we should do, and we should give thanks to Jesus, just as this passage says. Second thing we should do with this is emulate his humility. There, there is no more humble act than going from God in heaven to taking on the form of a man to suffering and dying. Jesus, you know, I said earlier that Jesus didn't when he became a man, he didn't give up, he didn't become less God or half God or anything like that. Jesus didn't give up his deity, he gave up his glory. He, he willingly gave up his glory to be like us. So that's our challenge. Emulate that huma- humility. And you know the number one way we can do that is to be obedient to what he calls us to do. It's a very practical thing. You know, a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this, and a lot of us who are younger, we, we ask, like, God, what's your will for my life? And we search, and we search, and we pray, and we spend lots of time thinking about what God's will is. But you know what God's number one will for our life is? Every single person in this room is for us to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. And in order to know what he's asked us to do, we have to be in his word. We have to read. We have to be in, in community with other people. 
because we can't be obedient if we don't know what the command is or what the instruction is. But there are some really basic things that God's called us to do that we should all be doing. And if we're following those things, then we're going to figure out what God's will for our life is. Because you know what? And this is a little bit of a tangent, but a lot of times when we ask that question, we want to know, well, like, what does God want my job to be or career to be? Or what, does he want me to live in Greenville or does he want me to live in California? Or, you know, just very simple questions like that. But God gives us free will to choose those things sometimes. And you know what? God cares about everything we do, but he might, it might be that, you know what? God's okay with you living in Greenville or God's okay with you living in California. Or, you know what, God's okay with you being a personal trainer, or God's okay with you being an accountant. You know, God gives you passions, and he gives you knowledge and skills for you to, to be able to act on those, to be able to live those out. And yes, I'm not saying, sometimes, like, you might feel very called to your profession, and I'm not saying that God doesn't do that. But what I am saying is, sometimes we focus on things that God has given us liberty to choose, but we're neglecting the things that we know God has told us to do, and we're just choosing not to obey those. God's will for us is to obey what he's called us to do. And that's the number one way that we can show humility is by doing that. Um, the third thing is seek reconciliation. So we, we saw in the Colossians pa- passage that we should forgive one another just like we've been forgiven. I don't know about you, but I've been forgiven a lot. There's a lot of things in my life that I've needed forgiveness for, and I'm so grateful that Jesus forg- has forgiven me of those things. And so how bad would it be for me to not forgive someone who's wronged me because, man, I should emulate Jesus. I should be like Jesus. I should forgive others. We should seek reconciliation because we have been reconciled. There can't be unity if there's not reconciliation. If we're, and let me say this too, this is hard, but you know what? Sometimes we shouldn't get offended so easily. Like, there are millions of things that I could get offended by. I'm sure if you think about in your marriage, I know there are times when you live with somebody all the time, There are things that I'm sure that I do that are minor that drive Lexi crazy, and there are things that she does that are minor that sometimes get on my nerves. And you know what? I just let it go sometimes. Like, it's not that important. We have to not be offended so easily if we want there to be reconciliation, if we want there to be unity. So, you know, if someone didn't say hey to you this morning, they probably were just thinking about something or having a bad morning. Like, let's not get offended so easily. There are things to be offended about, but... We should pick and choose those. We should seek reconciliation. We should, and the fourth thing is we should pursue unity, as I just mentioned. See, recognize the word pursue. Like, unity takes effort. It's not just going to happen naturally. We have to put effort in. And you know what? It's really easy for us to say, oh, man, they're so divided. The church is so divided. Well, what are you, what am I doing to make unity possible in my context, because it takes all of us being part of that. It takes all of us seeking that out for it to happen. And, you know, again, as I mentioned, that doesn't mean that we overlook important things that are essentials. Like, if there are things happening in the church, or if you see a brother or sister who's doing something clearly contrary to the gospel, like, those things should be called out. That's part of seeking unity, because we can't be unified if we're not all focused and in one accord on the primary things. But we need to seek and pursue unity so that uh, when others look at the church, they say, wow, they're, they're all living in one accord. This is, this is what God intended. Um, you know, in, our, in, in America, there's like 
hundreds and th maybe thousands of denominations. And you know, all those are a result of us dividing over things that might not be that important. But when we can look and see, you know what? We all have the gospel in common. We can worship together and we can know that we're all on the same page. And then lastly, number five, be sensitive to the needs of others. We're all familiar with the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12, we can see, um, we can see this in the Bible. Sometimes, we, sometimes these things get really, uh, like these phrases or quotes are like, did that come from the Bible or not? You know, like there are certain things people say and they attribute it to the Bible. And it's like, that's not actually from the Bible. But Matthew 7, 12, I'm going to read it. It's from the Bible, obviously. Um, Whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. Whatever you want others to do for you, do the same for them. So that requires us to think about what, what do we want others to do for us? And whatever that answer is, if you're not doing that for someone else, then you can't really expect other people to do that for you. Challenge for me, challenge for you. Be sensitive to the needs of others. Think about other people. And again, on the flip side of that, let's not be so easily offended. This is how we seek and pursue unity. And the reason for all these things, the reasons we should look to Jesus, the reason, reason we should emulate his humility, the reason we should seek reconciliation, the reason we should pursue unity, the reason we should be sensitive to the needs of others is so that others can see Christ in us and he can be exalted and glorified and he can receive the reward of his suffering, which is that his kingdom grows and more people worship and glorify him. That's the point. So I hope this is, I hope this is an encouragement. I hope, I hope that this morning that some of these theological truths became practical for all of us. And my prayer for all of us is that we would look to Jesus in every aspect of our lives. I'm going to pray, and then Zach's going to come up and do some announcements for us. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for your example, Lord, for when you call us to be obedient, Lord, we know that you are first obedient all the way to the point of death on a cross so that we could have a relationship with God. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help us to never, ever, ever become immune. Help us to never become uh, numb to the gospel, Lord. I pray that every time we hear, every time we read the gospel, Lord, that our hearts would stir, that we would feel gratitude, we would feel thanksgiving for the grace and mercy that you've poured out on us, Lord. I pray that as we live our lives, as we go about our weeks, as we go about our day-to-day -day tasks, Lord, that we would seek and pursue unity, Lord, that we would be humble, that we would put the needs of others before our own needs, Lord, so that others could see you, Lord, and so that others would come to a relationship with you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.